Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning to John chapter 21. We'll, be, be, we'll start in verse 15 of John chapter 21. And uh, as you are turning there, as I was preparing this message, uh, I was doing something a little weird. I don't think most of you do this during the week. If you do, you need to come talk to me. Um, I was looking for quotes about failure, what the world has to say about failure, what great minds have to say about failure. And I found some interesting ones, and I want to read a few for you. Um, Quote, there is no such thing as failure, only results. Or there's this one, quote, those who dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly. Or there's also this one, quote, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. They're not all bad. But as I was reading those, I was thinking, okay, you know what those aren't going to help with, though? Those aren't going to help with someone, and they're not going to be said to someone who just walked out on their spouse and kids to pursue their dreams. No one is going to be saying these to the people who make the front page of the news, New York, the York News Times for possession of meth. And your children are not going to say these quotes to you after you've lost your temper with them again. And our spouses aren't going to say these things when we look better at work than we do at home. What are they going to say instead? Well, here's another quote. Who do you think you are? And that's just people. That says nothing about God. We do any one of the things that I have mentioned, abandon our families, deal in drugs, exasperating our children in unrighteous anger, minimizing our relationship with our wives or husbands, or anything else like lie, disobey our parents, add it to our mental files that make women objects, long for stuff that our neighbor has but we don't. And is God going to tell us There's no such thing as failure, only results. What about when we say we're a follower of Jesus? As I think many, if not all of us in this room do, what about when we say that, but then proclaim the exact opposite with our lives? What should God say? In a zero-sum game world, God should say what he will ultimately say to everyone who does not trust him and does not repent. Depart from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. But here's the question. Is that the last word of Jesus for failures? And we all know that even for followers of Jesus, denying Jesus with our words and our actions is still a temptation and a reality in our lives. 
So the question is, is his, is his denial of us the last word for us when we fail? Sometimes we have failed so badly that we have a really hard time thinking that it isn't the last word. And we'll say something like, God could never forgive me for this. I've gone too far this time. So what then does Jesus say to a follower who has failed? And in this case, as we're going to read in the Scripture this morning, who has failed badly, who has denied his Lord and friend, who was then killed on a cross. What does Jesus have to say to him, and what does he have to say to us? This morning, because of this text, I felt it appropriate that we remain seated this time. Because we need to, this is one of those conversations where Jesus comes to us and he says, sit down, you're going to need to listen to me on this one. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Is failure the final word for failures? And if it's not, how can failures follow Jesus? Well, first, it's pretty simple. In order to follow Jesus, we must be forgiven by him. That's what Jesus is doing with Peter in this process. So how does Jesus do it? Well, he challenges first our profession of love. He asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The first time he asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That may mean more than the fishing 
more than Peter loves the disciples, but more, most likely it means, do you, Peter, love me more than these disciples love me? Because, as you might recall, before Jesus died on the cross, Peter answered this question, in effect, back in John 13, verse 37. And what did he say? He stood up resolutely, possibly with his chest puffed out, and said, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus... That greater love that no man has than that, I'm going to do for you, Jesus. So how'd that profession go? How'd that profession of love go? And you remember the story. He gets accosted by people who are not in authority, asking him, you're one of that man's disciples, aren't you? And what does he do? First time. I'm not. Second time, no, you've got the wrong guy. Third time, doggone it, I don't know this man. Do you know what Peter just did, has done, is what we are all guilty of. That's what sin is. From the little fib to the worst of the worst. It's rejecting God. Ultimately. And when we reject God, we are in need of His forgiveness. Because otherwise, it's wrath that we justly deserve. So, how does Jesus challenge this profession of love? He asks a simple three questions. He asks the question three times, not because He doesn't know the answer. But we need to know the answer. He wants Peter to feel this answer. As verse 17 says, after the third time, Peter was grieved. Because he made the connection. Deny Jesus three times. Jesus asking three times, do you love me? He challenges our profession of love. And if he loves you, he will do this. He does not leave stones unturned in our lives. Because those stones unturned will keep us from him if he does not deal with them. And we do not hand them over to him. But when he challenges our, our love, our profession of love, and we truly love him, he will secondly affirm our profession of love. <laughs> I don't know. I, this is crazy to me where Peter, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what does Peter say? Yes! He doesn't try false humility and try to fudge it around by saying, no, 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 I, I couldn't possibly love you. No, he's like, yes, I, but he doesn't say, yes, I love you. 
The old Peter would have said that. What does the new Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter doesn't appeal to himself. He appeals to Jesus. And isn't that what we should do when Jesus catches us in sin or calls us out on it? Our response should not be, well, it was just a bad time. Or, I deserved a break, Jesus. It's not that bad. Or, I'm sorry if, blah, 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 blah. Or, I'm sorry, but, excuse, excuse, excuse. Peter doesn't do any of that. He is a man who has failed his Lord. He is a man who knows it. And he also knows at the same time that he loves Jesus and wants to be with Jesus against all deserving. Peter does not deserve this, and neither do we. This is why God calls himself the, the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious And here we see he affirms his profession of love because look how Jesus leads him here. He leads him to a threefold confession of better things rather than denial of three things. And look where he is in this scene. He's at a different charcoal fire. There are two times charcoal fire shows up in, this, in the Gospel of John. One is where Peter denies Jesus. Two is where Jesus restores Peter. And here he is, instead of among strangers, he's among the people of God. And instead of the dark coldness of an early morning and a bad trial, he is in the beautiful day, the light of day, around a sea that he knows backwards and forwards. And that's where Jesus restores him, forgives him. And he can do that for you. Will you let him ask about your love for him? (laughs) And will you humbly answer in truth, not boasting in yourself, but in Jesus who knows everything? He can restore you too. A pastor from a long time ago, Richard Sibb, said this. He said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. In order to follow Jesus, we must be forgiven by him. And here is how Jesus verbally does it in this passage. He calls Peter back on mission. He doesn't leave Peter in the funk of his failure. He calls him to the work that is fit only for those who know their weakness and know their need for Jesus' forgiveness and know that Jesus has forgiven. Because the second thing, in order to follow Jesus, we must be commissioned by him. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. So that raises a question then. We're commissioned once we are restored. But what are we commissioned for? Who are we commissioned for? We're commissioned for his church. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the people of God matter? The people around this room, do they matter? Even the ones who have or are failing you, do they matter? Do they matter to Jesus? I mean, we are not commissioned as an apostle like Peter is, okay? Let's make that clear. However, we are commissioned for the bride of Christ. One commentator said and made this really insightful observation. He said, quote, Jesus is not a single person in the sense that he comes to us without other attachment. It's never, ever, ever just Jesus and me. It's not less than that, but it is way more than that. This guy goes on, he says, quote, he is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. To be in relationship to Christ while ignoring or even despising his bride is no more acceptable than such behavior would be in human contexts when relating to a married friend. Far less so because the relationship with Jesus has infinitely greater dimensions. End quote. The doctor who delivered our youngest son sometimes takes walks past our house. And he was walking with his wife one day this summer. And I recognized him and I said, oh, hey. But I didn't, I didn't really acknowledge her at all. And you know what? By God's grace, you know what she did? She said, hey, I'm here too. Really good for her. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. And they, we have a little conversation. They go on. Well, guess what the Lord did? He just shot my heart with that. That oftentimes we are so interested in the person on the platform, the person who does the amazing things, that we miss out on the person whom that famous person treasures most. And for Jesus Christ... It's his church, and we are commissioned for her. So here's the question, next question. What are we commissioned to do for his church? Because he says, my sheep, my lambs, believers, he's the good shepherd. What does he say to do to them or do for them? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, this certainly has explicit application to those of us who are elders and who might become elders. That we are under shepherds. We are to shepherd the flock of God that is under our care, as Peter says in his first epistle. But we are all commissioned to this in a, in a fashion. To feed, to tend Jesus' sheep in various ways. 
But as I mentioned to the kids, what it all ties back to is this. Jesus feeds us by speaking. As Peter confessed earlier on, he's like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And here Jesus is telling him, Peter, remember, feed my people that, the words of eternal life. This is why we spend time in the Word of God every Sunday. This is why we encourage you to read your Bibles and to study them and to speak these words to others. Because it is an expression of Jesus' love. And everything else that we do, serving, hospitality, taking care of the orphan and the widow, all flow from the fact that God has spoken about it. Because we have all heard the opposite, haven't we? I would think. We've all heard the stories about how church members can be... They'll start a letter like this. I love you as a brother in Christ, but... Yeah, exactly. Followed by some of the most vicious stuff said to pastors, to elders, other members, that even the worst people in the world would never say that to their friends. And yet we somehow in the church think we can get away with it in the name of holiness. Let's not be that church. Let's not serve and love the bride of Christ that way. Let us love Jesus' bride as he has commissioned us to love her by feeding her, nourishing her, building her up. You want to talk about something amazing to do with your life. Receive the commission for that. That all of your life can matter for Jesus Christ in loving his people. But, although the truth is way better than we could imagine, we are cautioned not to romanticize this. And Jesus doesn't let Peter romanticize his restoration either. Because our following Jesus requires something else for us failures. In order to follow Jesus, we must be crucified with him. Because go Jesus goes on to prophesy about the kind of death that Peter was to glorify God. Now he says these things, what does it mean to be crucified with Jesus? Well, first it means giving up our wills for God's. First, it's a place of the heart. It's our desires that need to be laid down at the feet of Jesus for his desires. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Well, guess what? He's alive. It's not physical at that point. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, does that mean that Jesus looks at all your desires and says, no fun there, no fun there, no, you can't do that, no, 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 no. Rule, 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 rule. No, that's not what it is. Jesus has come to make all things new. He has come to redeem that which was broken and fallen. And if God has made us in his image, as the scripture says he has, been, he has made us, that means that we come with desires because he has designed us to have desires for a purpose, which is to what? Glorify him. Sin uses desires to glorify us. So all Jesus is doing in this is saying, I'm commissioning you, I'm restoring you back to your original purpose for which I created people. And he will change your desires. I'll just ask a really obvious one in Husker Nation. Why do you go to the Husker game? Some of you might be tempted to go there because of idolatry. Because you love the game more than you love Jesus Christ. Some of you might recognize and understand that you can still go to a Husker game as a follower of Jesus Christ and glorify Jesus Christ, His way there. But whose will is it? Yours or his? We must be crucified with him. The second reality of that is sometimes it does mean literal suffering. Because Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This isn't Peter willingly stretching out his hands. This is a euphemism to refer to crucifixion, where they would stretch out your hands and nail iron spikes through your wrists. And around the world, our brothers and sisters, our family of God, face this. And we, even in this country, are not immune. We can face this. You look at Christians in Afghanistan now. Christians in many parts of Muslim-controlled Africa. Even in tribal Africa. Slaughtering people because of the name of Jesus upon people. This is, not, this is not what we would say in our country the, when we have something that bothers us and we're just carrying it around. This is my cross to bear. No, this is not. Nah, this is not what Jesus is referring to. Because oftentimes our, our supposed crosses to bear have nothing to do with following Jesus. 
Sometimes it means literal suffering to be crucified with Jesus, as Peter was. Peter was crucified. But it also means this. To be crucified with Jesus means that the glory does go to God. Because look, John makes this comment in verse 19. This, this saying that he's going to be crucified, prophesying that he's going to be crucified, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. What is God being glorified? How is God glorified? When God is seen and known for who he truly is. When he is made known for who he truly is. And what Jesus just told Peter is that the way God is going to be known for who he truly is, is the same way Jesus was known for where, who he truly is, by crucifixion. Remember when Jesus said in John, the hour has come, Father, glorify your name. And that hour was him being lifted up on the cross for the world to see the love of God displayed for taking the place of sinners like you and me. That's how he's glorified. That's how he's shown to be not this God who punishes and has no room for forgiveness. That's not the kind of God we worship. We worship a God who lavishly forgives, so much so that he paid the costliest price to see us made his, to see Peter kept his. And what we see when it means that the glory goes to God, is that glorifying God is the opposite of failure. Do you see what has happened to Peter? That's what this passage shows us. Failure is not the last word for following Jesus. Following him who has never failed is. Is that true for you? Have you found forgiveness with Jesus Christ? Do you not presume upon the riches of his kindness, but recognize what sin does when you commit it this afternoon. That you will be denying God this afternoon by your sin. But it is not the last word for us failures. The last word is follow me. Follow him, church. Follow him who has never failed and will never, ever fail you. Let's pray.